Welcome to Seeing Double on the Uneven Playing Field. This is your host, Janika Liebenthal, and on this episode, we will discuss how a simple helmet hit can hinder your health and sports career. To exemplify this discussion, we have Jack, an expert athletic trainer at Kutztown University, who will elaborate on the effects of concussions beyond sports. So Jack, how long have you been an athletic trainer and what makes you qualified to weigh in on this subject? I've been an athletic trainer for 31 years. And I've done extensive research and been involved in several research studies about concussions over the years. Currently have a, an additional job to KU where I work for the NFL. Um, being an ATC spotter at NFL games, I work down at uh, Lincoln Financial with, for the, not for the Eagles, but for the NFL. Cool. Spotting cool. for um, concussion, head and neck injuries, basically. Okay. So let's first touch on the basis of concussions. So how do concussions occur and what activities do you see them happen the most in? Collision sports is where you're going to see concussions the most. So football, soccer, ice hockey, anywhere where there's an opportunity for bodies to hit each other. Uh, the mechanism of a concussion is typically going to be a blow to the head, which causes some kind of rotational force. It's not necessarily just the, you know, the head hitting something. It's a rotational force where the brain starts to slosh around within the skull. And that, that sloshing around, the brain will hit the skull, and that's where you cause an issue. Or you have a brainstem issue where the brain sloshes around in a rotational force enough that you cause damage to the brainstem. Once athletes receive a concussion, how do they act? Do they act differently? Do they act the same? Everybody's different, and every concussion is different. One, one person experiences a head trauma, it's going to be different from the next person experiencing a head trauma. You'll have minor concussions, major concussions. Back 15, 20 years ago, we used to grade them on the scale of one to three, and that was kind of our basis on how we return people to activity, whether or not they were unconscious at the time or conscious at the time. But we've learned over the last 15 years with extensive research that's going on that, number one, we don't label them anymore first, second, or third degree. Number two, whether you're unconscious or conscious really doesn't have a relevance on how individuals deal with concussions after they happen, how the body processes the injury. So now we basically are used, you know, looking for um, signs and symptoms that occur within the brain. And that's what we test for pre and post. You know, if we do a pre-test, that's what we're testing, signs and symptoms of the every person's everyday life. And then post-concussion, we're looking, okay, do they match up to their pre-concussion um, levels? So what are the symptoms of a concussion? We, there's there's a, a list of 25 that, that, we, that we, you know, test for. So dizziness, sensitivity to light, sensitivity to noise balance issues, those are the main ones. Okay, so how do you test and assess a concussion? Here at Kutztown, we're, we're different from most places because some people rely on a computer test, so sticking somebody in, in front of a computer and asking them to react to things that come up on the screen. We don't think that's always translatable, and uh, one of my undergraduate um, colleagues from Westchester is one of the extensive researchers for athletic trainers in the field of concussions down at North Carolina and you know he's always pushing the paper test 
So that's kind of what we use based on the research he's done and research that other people have done on the computer test. I don't think they're valid enough. So the number one thing we do is we do a sim symptom assessment uh, and we're gathering information on previous concussion issues because we know that concussions are an um, additive injury problem. So if you've had one, two, or three, the next one you have is going to be worse than the previous one, typically. Not always, but we do see an additive cause to concussions. So typically, people will deteriorate over time having multiple concussions. So our test is a symptom checklist, and then we use what, what is now referred to as a SCAT-5 test. So it's a um, memory test, a balance test, and asking people to perform certain tasks within those types of tests. So what are the treatments for a concussion? Again, I'll give you a little bit of background. 15 years ago, go lay down, get in a, in a dark room, and hang out, and don't do much. But we know that for every injury that somebody has, the best thing you can do for them is some form of movement exercise. Maybe not for that body part, but maybe for another body part. But getting the person moving is really the best thing you do for them. So now, okay, we might tell you stay off, you know, in, in the world we live in now, limit your electronic exposure. So stay off your phone. Don't get on your computer too much. Not high sensitivity lighting. Lighting, different types of lighting as opposed to um, the regular lighting you would have in a classroom with fluorescent lights aren't typically good for you. But it's not go sit in the dark room and do nothing. So we're going to tell the person that, you know, go about their daily living task that they're capable for performing without elevating their signs and symptoms. What happens if these treatment protocols aren't followed correctly? Like what if you're diagnosed with a concussion and you just go out and you go back to playing, you go run around? What happens? One thing you, you always want to impress on somebody who has concussion is concussions that we do not know because we're not doing brain surgery on everybody. You know, it's, it's different from somebody with a shoulder injury or a knee injury where they go and get surgery and they get it fixed. You get one brain for your life. They don't have brain transplants. So you have to understand what you're doing to yourself short-term and long-term if you don't follow the guidelines that an individual is telling you. So you could go down a path where you begin to have memory issues, sensitivity to light issues all the time, hearing issues where your sensitivity to noise, you know, we and we've done extensive study studies with the armed forces and that's where we've kind of bridged the gap between athletics and the armed forces and that's another one of the things that my colleagues do in North Carolina and, and around the country is they're bridging that gap to understand how concussions affect people in the armed forces and how can we translate that to athletics and how can we better educate people? So if you decide as an individual athlete to go and continue to lie about what your signs and symptoms are and you, you're capable of passing the test and you, go, you, send, you get yourself back in there too early, then it could have an, an additive effect where the signs and symptoms you have today, five years from now, they could be much worse. So what is being done to protect against concussions, and is this enough? There's tons of people across the country at, you know, multiple levels, and, and 
you know, I have an opportunity working for the NFL. We went to a course this summer in Chicago where they brought in, you know, people who are doing my position, neurologists and several other people in the field. And, you know, the NFL is doing extensive research because they don't want their game to die. You know, if people continue to have head injuries and neck injuries in that game, then, you know, at some point somebody's going to say, hey, this isn't worth it. So less people are going to participate. So they're doing, they're doing the, I believe they're doing their research and, and doing what needs to be done to figure out ways to better protect humans playing that sport. People are trying to come up with all different kinds of ideas for other sports, um, non-helmet related sports, let's say soccer for one, where people use bands around their heads sometimes because we know that heading a soccer ball is kind of a micro trauma to the brain. You know, if you get dizzy heading the soccer ball, then, okay, maybe that was, you know, a very, very low-level concussive moment for you, although you recover within seconds. So it's not, it doesn't, you don't feel it having an effect on you. I'm not sure that those headbands do anything. They've done research. I just don't know that that, that is going to stop the force that we're looking to stop. Um but there's a lot of research out there going on right now, and there's um, government grants and all kinds of stuff that people are using to try and figure out how can we best protect the human brain. Best protection for the human brain is don't put it in a position where it can be subjected to exactly. these forces. Exactly. So how could these concussions affect your life outside of sports and in the future? I've heard of, like, CTE and, like, depression... Uh, now, CTE and, and this correlation and depression and all these things are, you know, again, within the last 10 to 15 years, we're really starting to understand this. People are doing studies. They're, they're having people, um, again, the, the gentleman that I, I know at North Carolina, he has done research on about 300 ex-NFL players. He flies them into North Carolina. He has an NFL grant to do this. He flies them into North Carolina. He does extensive work with them and then follows up with them every several years um, in some, some shape to figure out where they're going, what road they're going down, and what effects concussions have had on, on them over the years. Um, Short-term effects in the population we deal with, you know, let's say high school and college, is you could have issues in the classroom, studying, concentrating, um, sitting in a classroom, um, with the lights being an issue, or if you go back to sports too early, the noises surrounding a sport, the, the crowd cheering, teammates cheering, you know, getting hit again, those can all be an issue for you. So long-term effects with the CTE, you know, people have shown, we've, we've had people donate their bodies to science, they can, you know, open up the skull, check the brain, they're looking for the, the tall chemical which is the causative effect right now that we understand as being um, a detriment to the brain over time. And they've cut brains open to see how much tall is in there and brain damage. And then they try and correlate to that to the person's life, let's say, in the past year, five years, ten years, and where they going down a slippery slope. You know, several people have committed, obviously committed suicide over the years who they you know, they say had multiple concussions throughout their careers, and that's a problem. And depression, you know, depression comes prior to all of these um, people taking their lives and those kind of things because the brain fails to work 
properly and run the body systems properly and the causative effect is depression. It seems that concussions are not taken as seriously as they should be and can lead to instability in all aspects of the body. No matter how tough you think you are, you can't out-tough this brain injury. Thank you, Jack, for speaking with me today, and tune in next episode for a glimpse into the lives of those that have ruptured their Achilles.